morning. Great to be with you this morning. My name is Bryce Hales. I'm a pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you're following along in one of the blue Bibles on the ground near you, um, you can find 1 Peter 5 on page 1016. We are, uh, for the last several weeks, we've been in a, a series where we are looking about at, at what the New Testament says about the church. And uh, we're kind of in a season as a church where um, we're kind of pausing to say, who are we and where are we going? And uh, what does God have for us as a church? And the good news is that we're not making this up ourselves, but God has given the church its identity. God has given our church its identity, and we get to walk into that reality. And so we are going to be talking this morning, specific, so we're in this series, we're looking at kind of eight characteristics or eight marks of the church that the New Testament uh, lays out for us. And this morning we're looking at uh, the way that God leads his church through leaders. And um, in, uh, in, in the Bible, the Bible kind of talks about uh, the words that we use for leaders in the church are pastors and elders. Um, there's also deacons. I'm not really going to be talking about deacons this morning. Um, but then there's also a sense in which every Christian is called to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple, um, and mature discipleship is really where leadership stems from. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So let me uh, ask you or invite you to stand with me if you're able and willing, and we'll give our attention to God's word. I'm going to read 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Let's listen to God's word together. The Apostle Peter says these words. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh God, this morning we, uh, we come to this passage that is very practical, and I pray that you would uh, give us soft hearts uh, to hear your word to us, that you would give us um, uh, renewed minds to imagine what it is that you're calling us into, that you would work through our hands and our feet to uh, enable us to live out the realities that you are holding before us in your word. God, we can't do this on our own. It would be foolish to try. And so we pray to you, our Father, that Jesus would be formed more fully in us by the power of your spirit. Amen. You may be seated, please. So today we're talking about leadership and uh, we've been looking at these eight marks of the church, and they, they've all, they all begin with an S. And so what, what we're talking about today is the submitted to godly leadership church. And uh, this is, I think, 
the most deceptively difficult of these eight marks to talk about. And uh, I say it's deceptively difficult because on the surface it seems like it'd be really straightforward. Uh, of course there's got to be somebody who makes decisions and somebody's got to kind of say where we're going as a church. So I guess on the surface of it, it makes sense that there's got to be leaders in the church. Somebody has to lead, I guess. But as soon as we really get below the surface at all, uh, it becomes very difficult to talk about leadership. Uh, it becomes very difficult to talk about leadership in the church uh, for a number of reasons. I think it's difficult to talk about leadership in the church because of the kind of cultural moment that we live in where we have witnessed both inside and outside the church uh, the dramatic fall of many, many leaders. Um, we have seen you know, politicians, business leaders, people in the entertainment industry, um, you know, disqualify themselves, uh, use their leadership, uh, their positions, their influence to hurt others. And we've seen that in the church also. We've seen high-profile pastors um, use their position to, to hurt people, to be bullies. We've seen um, leaders um, disqualify themselves through immorality. We have seen uh, leaders simply get discouraged and walk away. And every time that happens, um, that hurts somebody. That hurts somebody when leaders disqualify themselves or walk away from ministry. Uh, maybe some of us have been personally hurt by uh, church leaders, and so that makes it hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about leadership. It's also very hard to talk about leadership because uh, it's really drilled into us from a very early age in our culture that you really should not trust anybody. Uh, you really sh you should only trust yourself. That's what we're told from like the earliest age. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast that kind of highlighted this in, in a little bit comical terms, but I was listening to a podcast this week where a pastor in Portland is talking about um, an email that he received on Monday morning from a guy who's been coming to his church for a few weeks. And usually those Monday morning emails are not the, the most encouraging emails to read, but this actually was really funny. Um, he said this guy who's been coming to his church for five or six weeks is a, is a Satanist. And he's been at this church uh, visiting for a few weeks, and he sent him this email and basically told him, um, I think I'm uh, against my wishes meeting Jesus. And, <laughs> but this is what he said. He, he said, you know, from, from a young age, you know, from the time I was like a 16-year-old kid in high school, I was told that I didn't have just have the responsibility, but actually the right, uh, not just the right, but the responsibility to question authority. And so, you know, as a high school student, I'm writing papers about um, what Abraham Lincoln did wrong during the Civil War. You know, just regular things that you write about in high school uh, and even earlier. Uh, but, but what he's saying is we, we grow up telling um, children from a young age, you should question everything. You should not trust authority. And this a Satanist said that began to carry over into my view of God. And so I began to, to think of it not only as, as my right, but my responsibility to, uh, to question God. And I began to think that I knew better than God himself did about what is right and wrong. Uh, I knew better than God did about religion and about everything else. But this man said he, he was getting to the point where he began to realize that his view of the world uh, as, as, as kind of self-gratifying as it was, was leading him to a culture of death and not a culture of life. It was leading him, this, this, this place of question everything and don't trust anyone, was leading him to a place where he could trust no one. 
And so there's this idea in our culture that all authority is, uh, is kind of inherently uh, oppressive. And that leadership is really about accumulating status for yourself while taking it away from other people. And so it's our... It's not just, uh, we, can't, we don't just have the ability to question leaders, we, we, we have the responsibility to. We shouldn't trust anyone. But the result of this questioning everything and trusting nobody is that we have to make every decision for ourselves. And it seems like a great thing at the very f tip of it to say, you should make every decision for yourself. But if you've ever tried to choose anything to watch on Netflix, you realize that infinite options are not always life-giving. Um, but in a much more serious way, we live in a culture that is racked with anxiety. And 1 Peter 5, I didn't continue to read this, but if you read the rest of the chapter, it draws a direct link between our ability to trust people and especially our leaders and our experience of anxiety. And so this is really important. Um, when you're living a beautiful life, but you wake up at 3 a.m. and can't fall back asleep, or you wake up every morning with this kind of knot in your stomach, you are racked with anxiety even though everything is good externally in life, then something is deeply wrong with the world that we live in and the expectations that we have brought to it. And so it's really important that we talk about leadership, even though it's incredibly difficult to discuss. I also have to say, and I, I'm hesitant to even say this, but on a personal level, it's really hard for me to talk about leadership uh, because basically, in some ways, I'm talking about myself and my role in this church. And you probably don't believe this, but I really don't like talking about myself. I don't mind talking that much, I guess, but I don't like talking about myself. Uh, and so it makes me feel incredibly vulnerable uh, to talk about leadership in the church. Um, and I think there's kind of these twin dangers in talking about leadership in the church for me that um, on the one hand, the more faithfully I explain what the Bible says about leadership, the more I open myself up to hypocrisy. And I'm not saying that to like get your sympathy. I'm just, I, I think I'm saying that to say there's going to be a tendency for me to hold back and there could be, there might be the tendency for you to use my words against me at some point. And I don't think either of those is what God wants for us as we study his word this morning. So I think that's one reason that I'm hesitant to, uh, to talk about why it's difficult to talk about leadership. Um, there's also the, the real possibility that um, talking about leadership could come across as trying to justify my existence to you. And I'm not really interested in doing that either. So I just want to acknowledge those challenges that, that, that are there and then try to dive in. Um, because leadership is crucial for the health of Jesus' church. Uh, it's crucial that as we follow Jesus, that we follow those that he has placed in leadership in his church. And I have to say that this has been the most challenging aspect of being the pastor and the, and the planter of this church. Um, as many of you know, for six years before I moved here to start this church, I pastored college students. And what I did not realize when I moved to Orange County was that uh, in six years of pastoring college students, I was like tw 12 years older than everybody I was pastoring. And being more mature and life stage gave me a lot of leadership capital that I thought I had earned, and I didn't. I just was older than them and had managed to reproduce. Uh, and so that just gives you a lot of, like, knock it off, you don't know what you're talking about. And pastoring 
my peers and older has stretched me in more ways than I can um, articulate. Um, and I've made mistakes and I have let you down and I'm sorry. This is really hard and this is really important. So with that say it, said, it, uh, and kind of acknowledging that it might be tempting to just say nothing at all, because this is so important, I want to invite you to just buckle in, <laughs> and we're going to look at three things that, this, that the Bible says about the nature of leadership in the church, specifically as it relates to pastors and elders, um, but leadership more generally in the church, and where we are going as a congregation at Resurrection OC. So three things I want you to look at with me this morning. The first is why leadership matters. If leadership is so uh, hard, especially in our time to deal, to, to like talk about, why talk about it at all? Why, why deal with it? Why not just move on? Um, well, we have to see why leadership matters. Peter addresses the elders here, and what he says is uh, this. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to shepherd the flock of God. And since you are all farmers, you understand what he says when he, when he says shepherd the flock of God. Uh, what this means is that God has placed leaders, elders, pastors in his church um, to lead his church, to shepherd uh, the sheep. Um, again, these agrarian metaphors are sometimes lost on us. What that means is this. It's the job of elders to lead Christians for their own good to a place that they are reluctant to go to. Does that make sense? Uh, we, sheep, we think of the sheep as like fluffy creatures. When God calls us sheep, uh, sheep are skittish, they're scared, they, they're, they don't want to go where you want them to go for their own good. Um, and God is saying he puts elders and pastors in the church to lead sheep to a place for their own good that they are very reluctant to go to. Or I could put it in more modern terms like this. What pastors, leaders, elders do is facilitate change. Uh, it is the job of leaders to facilitate change. And actually, um, the definitive article, kind of scholarly article on leadership called What Leaders Do by John Cotter was published in the Harvard Business Review in 1991. That's essentially what he says. It changed the field of like, if you read bookstore books on leadership, uh, that the task of leaders is to help people cope with change. Now, I think it's fascinating because if you think about where we are in this series, what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks and why this is so important is this. What God wants to do through the church is gather a group of people and help us change. And so we, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is the church is the group of people that, that God has put his spirit within us as individuals uh, to, to give us life and to conform us more and more to the image of Jesus. And we looked at last week's sanctification, which is what God does in us to help us change. And this is the work of a lifetime. And now what we're seeing as we look at leadership is that God puts leaders in his church to kind of help facilitate that change. Does that make sense? Um, it's the job of leaders to help facilitate change. That's what God is doing in, in our lives for the rest of our lives. So leadership matters because leaders facilitate change. Uh, what's the, you know, the, the just, fray, like, we fear change. <laughs> but it's true, like, we, we don't want to change, and that's what leaders help us do, help us cope with change. And so leadership is important. And because of that, leadership matters because the strength and health of the church 
will be largely dependent on the health of its leaders. Um, a church will go, like as the, leaders, as the leaders go, so the church will go. Paul wrote to the uh, church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11. He wrote these words. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Or imitate me as I imitate Christ, as it's sometimes translated. And that's what it means to be a pastor or an elder. It means to say to people, I'm following Jesus and I want you to follow me as I follow Jesus. To say that, uh, I mean, <laughs> with fear and trembling, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And think about this reality. I mean, it, there's a real sense in which leadership in the church is so different than leadership in our world. There's a lot of overlap. But one of the ways in which it's, it's so different is this, that most of the people kind of in our world that we think of as leaders are people that if you had a conversation with them in person, you would tell stories about that for the rest of your life. Like if you actually met the president, you would tell people like, wow, I met the president, it was amazing. Uh, most, what I'm saying is most of our leaders are people who lead us from a distance. Um, you know, depending on where you work, you may have never met the CEO or the president of your, of your company, right? Um, there, there are many instances in which uh, leaders lead from afar. They're people that we never really talk to, that we don't know. Um, and so what that means is that in these, in these situations, leadership is often the result of influence or charisma or that like mysterious it, <laughs> whatever it is, and that's why we follow people from a distance. But in the church, leadership is tied much more closely to discipleship. Uh, I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But, but really, leadership is the, the function of mature discipleship in the church. We're looking for leaders who will lead people to Jesus. We're looking for leaders who will help us live lives that make Jesus more beautiful uh, to those who haven't yet met him. And so leadership matters in the church because as our leaders, as our pastors, as our elders go, so goes the rest of the church. Um, leaders cannot lead people to a place that they don't know how to get to. That just kind of makes sense, right? And so leadership is critical because the church will only rise to the health of its leaders. And then leadership matters because leadership requires, at least uh, leadership in the church, it really requires uh, bearing the emotional and spiritual burden of other people before God. Listen to what Hebrews thirteen seventeen says. It says this, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no, of no advantage to you. Okay, there's a ton in that passage, right? But can I just um, say this? I know that... In a room this size, there are people who have been hurt by somebody in leadership. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I don't mean but. The consequence of that hurt is that it can lead us to be cynical about leadership in general. Um, it can lead us to resist anyone who would try to lead us. Who does he think he is, what's his angle, what is he getting out of this? And if I can just humbly say this to you guys, the faithful leaders that I know spend a far more time wrestling with the weight, the burden of leadership, 
than they do thinking about all of the privileges that leadership supposedly uh, brings them. Uh, it, is a, it is a weighty thing. It is a weighty thing to keep watch over someone's soul and give an account for them before God. And so leadership matters. We need elders, we need pastors in the church who will help us follow Jesus, who will shepherd us as we change, who will help us to live lives that are more beautiful and believable, that make Jesus look good. Uh, leadership is crucially important because we're not going to get there on our own. Okay, that's why leadership matters. So if, that, if leadership matters so much, then how do we choose our leaders? How do we officially you know, recognize leaders in, in God's church? Well, um, there are really two passages in the Bible, especially when it comes to elders, that, um, that help us think through this. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Um, I'm not going to kind of look at those in detail. I'd encourage you to, to look at them um, on your own this week. Um, but if you look at those places in the Bible, if you even just were to flip to one of those places, what you'd probably see is a heading 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1 that says qualifications for elders. And um, what I need you to understand is those like section headings in your Bible are not part of the Bible. They were not written by Paul or Peter or Moses or anybody. They're, in, they're put there by the, by the translators, by the publishers. Uh, and qualifications for elders, probably not the most helpful uh, term there. It, it would be much better to put characteristics uh, of elders. And, and the reason for that is this, because we have a tendency to think about uh, qualifications as sort of the, the minimum we need to do in order to be qualified for this job or this role. And so that could give the impression that as long as I do these things, I am therefore qualified to be an elder. Um, but what the Bible continually emphasizes is that um, character trumps everything. Character trumps everything. What those passages are telling us is about, is, is about the character of an elder, the characteristics of an elder. Words. So in other words, as a church, what we want to do is not say, meet these standards and you too can be an elder. But what we want to do is look and see who are the people who are, uh, who, who, whose lives match these characteristics and then recognize them in an official way as elders uh, in the church. And so if, if you look at these passages um, in detail, it would certainly be worth doing at another time. But what I want to do is, is kind of summarize the characteristics of an elder in four ways, four things that really come out of these passages, uh, four things that we are looking for when it comes to recognizing elders. And they're these uh, character, competency, commitments, and compatibility. Character, competence, um, commitment, <laughs> and compatibility. Um, okay, what do those things mean? Okay, character, this is primary. Um, let, let me be clear, this doesn't mean that um, pastors and elders in the church are perfect. Um, our leaders are sinners, we will fail you, I have failed you as your pastor. Um, I will fail you, I will continue to, I will repent, I will apologize. Um, I'm sorry for the ways that I failed you as your pastor. Leaders are not perfect. Um, 
But this is saying that the standard is not perfection, and yet godly character is essential. Uh, these passages, when you look at passages about what does it look like to be a leader or an elder in the church, you consistently see things like a faithful husband, uh, managing your family well. Um, it says that a, uh, an elder must not be a recent convert. He must not be a baby or a new Christian or an immature Christian. And what all of these speak to is this, that an elder with godly character is somebody who has been through the mess of life and remained faithful to Jesus. That's what character is like. See, um, there are some of us who, when times are hard, we cling to Jesus. And when we lose our job, we cling to Jesus. And when you know, our relationships uh, are struggling, we cling to Jesus. And then life takes a turn, and we enter a new season, and we get our promotion, or that project we've been working on for a long time finally uh, you know, pays off, or whatever it is, life gets easier in whatever way, and suddenly Jesus doesn't seem as important to us. The inverse of that is also true, isn't it? There are... Um, Others of us who we become Christians and initially it seems like life is wonderful and uh, everything is kind of infused with meaning and purpose and it's like now we're seen in 3D for the first time in our lives. It just changes the way we look at everything and it's wonderful. And then like the real life, you know, continues and things are hard and we begin to think maybe this isn't exactly what I thought I was getting myself into here. And we begin to back away from Jesus. You, you, see, you see what I'm saying? It, it works differently for, for, for us. But some of us, um, for some of us, affluence and comfort drive us away from Jesus. For others of us, failure and discouragement can drive us away from Jesus. But godly character is demonstrated in remaining faithful to Jesus no matter what's going on in our circumstances. That's what character, that's what character is. And so character is primary, that we cling to Jesus no matter what's going on in our lives. Um, secondly, competence. Um, character always trumps competence. We will take elders of character who are socially awkward all day long. <laughs> uh, or, or whatever you, know, you want to you put in terms of skills or competence. Character trumps everything. Who you are is far more important than what you can do. And yet there are certain competencies that are required um, to be a leader in God's church, to be an elder. Uh, an elder needs certain things. And, and really, I think you could boil it down to these five. Leading, feeding, caring, knowing, and protecting. Leading, feeding, caring, knowing, and protecting. Uh, we are not equally gifted. I'm not equally gifted in all five of these areas. I'm really bad at two of them. You can use your imagination, I guess, to figure that out. <laughs> Um, but part of the reason, not the only reason, but part of the reason why we believe in the church that, uh, that the church should be led by a parity, a plurality of elders is because we hold each other accountable, but we, we complement one another. And uh, we need our strengths to be, our, our weaknesses to be complemented by the strengths of others. Uh, competence. Thirdly, commitment. We need elders who are committed. I mean, this makes sense just on a surface level, doesn't it? That you can be, uh, you can have character and you can have competence, and yet if you're not committed, it's not really going to be worth hardly anything. Um, so wh what do we mean by, by commitment? Here's what I think, here's, wh here's what 
Here's what I mean by commitment. Commitment as reflected in your willingness to sacrifice for the ministry. And let me just kind of be very clear about this. When we're talking about who uh, will become elders officially at Resurrection OC, I want to see commitment that is demonstrated by your willingness to sacrifice for this church. Uh, and what I, what I don't mean by that is things are things like, uh, I, don't, I want to draw a line between giving of your time, of your you know, resources, whatever that is. I want to make a distinction between giving and sacrifice. Um, there, there's a sense in which generosity requires sacrifice, that giving out of our, out of our excess is good, but what God is saying is, is necessary of his leaders, of his elders, is, is sacrifice for the ministry. Or I could put it like this, if you want to be an elder, I want to see your scars. If you want to lead God's people, then I want to know that I can trust you even when it's going to cost you. Um, I want to, I mean, here's the reality. Like the challenges of leadership never fit our schedules. Um, the phone calls that really need to be answered come in way too late or way too early. Um, we need leaders who are willing to stick it out when things are hard. And so when we're looking for leaders, I'm far more interested in seeing your scars than your skills. Um, I'm going um, <laughs> to kind of embarrass Jason for a second. I didn't ask him if I could do this. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Jason Reed, if you don't know, is our worship director. And um, I don't know if we really have a sense as a church for how much, um, what a gift God has given us in, uh, in Jason and how, how grateful we are, or at least should be, uh, for him and for his leadership. Jason and his family moved here uh, with us four and a half years ago, I think, to uh, help us start this church. Um, are we, should we be grateful for Jason because he's a skilled musician? Yes, we should. We should, but not only because he's a skilled musician. Um, more than that, or, or let me put it like this. You can trust Jason not just because he looks really good playing a guitar, but you can trust him because of what he has sacrificed to be here. And he's never going to tell you that, and I'm not going to tell you anything specifically, but if you think about it for any amount of time, you can deduce that uh, there have been certain sacrifices that the Reed family has made to be at our church and to stick with our church over the last four and a half years. And so I'm not saying that to say you should feel sorry for them or go give them a hug after the service or anything like that, although you could, I suppose. But what I'm saying is this, you can trust him. And you can trust him because he's, he's, he's got the scars to show that he's committed. And he's never going to show them to you because he also has the character um, to not show off his scars. <laughs> And that's kind of the challenge. Is he perfect? No. Does he make mistakes? He does. Every once in a while, he makes a mistake. Uh, I have to look hard to catch him making a mistake. But, but, okay, 
I'll leave Jason alone now. You understand what I'm saying. You can trust him. If you want to be a leader, don't show us your skills. Show us your scars. Most leaders, if you have the character that is required to be an elder, you're not going to want to flaunt your scars either. But listen to this. John 15, 13 says this. Greater love has no one than this, than, than, than someone lay down his life for his friends. That's true of Jesus, and it's true of those that he calls to lead in his church as well. Commitment. Um, not simply do you show up with regularity, but is your commitment reflected in your willingness to make sacrifices for the sake of the ministry? Because leadership requires sticking it out when things are hard. And then fourthly, um, compatibility. You know, I, like, I don't really have a Bible verse for this one. I could probably make something work if I needed to, but I'll, I can tell you this, that the first church I was a pastor at, I was 26 and right out of seminary and probably incredibly arrogant and thought I knew way more than I did. And um, at about, I don't know, 10 or 12, 14 months into being the assistant pastor at this church, I found myself in an elder meeting where one of the elders was yelling at me at the top of his lungs while the other three elders sat there. And I'm like looking going, this guy's yelling at me. These guys aren't saying anything. And I don't know whose fault it was, but I could tell you that there was definitely not a good fit going on <laughs> there. And one of us needed to leave. And, um, and it turned out that they decided it was me. So, <laughs> well, we mutually decided. But what I mean by, by compatibility is just this. Like, if we're going to lead together, we've got to be able to work together. We've got to be able to get things done without arguing about everything all the time. Okay, big picture. Character, competence, commitment, and compatibility. What is this going to look like at Resurrection SC? Um, if you've been around, one of the things I have, I have been mentioning over the last several months is that uh, as, a, as a church plant, this is the reality, that our denomination called me to plant this church. And uh, that comes probably with more authority than any uh, other pastor will ever have. Um, because I'm the only elder at this church at this point. And yet our goal as a church is to be a mature church, and part of what that means is electing our own elders. And so over the next, I don't know, 12, 18 months, we are going to elect our own elders as a church. And at that point, this is a really big deal, we will move out of being a church plant and we will be a, at least like a teenager church, let's say, <laughs> at that point. At that point. Um, so what's that going to look like? Here's what this is going to look like. Um, in December, in the month of December, we are going to open up nominations. And so if you are a member of Resurrection OC, you can nominate uh, somebody who matches these characteristics uh, to, who, who, who is also a member. You must be a member to nominate. You must be a member to be nominated. If you want to become a member before December, or at least the end of December, you can talk to me. We can probably make that happen. Um, but we are going to invite you as a congregation to nominate uh, elders. I don't choose the elders. I don't choose the elders. I don't actually get to vote. Um, at, the end of, at the end of December, you will have nominated, God willing, several elder candidates. We will then spend the next, I don't know, 10, 12, 16 months in a training process for those elder candidates. Uh, sometime towards the end of 2020, our uh, denomination, let's say, uh, will uh, examine our elder candidates and then you as a congregation will vote to elect the people who will be uh, your elders as a church. 
uh, that's where we go from here. Um, okay, let me, let, me, let me move to the third point now. Uh, let me just say again, like this is a big deal for our church. Uh, electing our own elders is a big, is a big deal. It's a big step in, in our growth and maturity as a congregation. It's exciting. It's, um, it's exciting. It's a big step. Thirdly, let me talk about this. Why submission matters. Let's talk about like the elephant in the room, okay? Um, elders or pastors lead the church, and our response as Christians is to submit to those God has placed in leadership over us, and we hate that, don't we? Uh, this is 2019. Why are you standing in public and saying the word submit, Bryce? That is offensive. Um, submission is a bad word. It almost feels immoral to us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, Hebrews 13, 17. Likewise, you, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, 1 Peter 5, 5. Okay, we, we, we hate, it doesn't seem wrong to say that you should submit to somebody. Okay, can we just talk about this? And This is really beautiful if you, if you can give me the time to explain what the word submit means to you. Um, and I don't even mean in Greek. I just mean, like, think about what the word submit means. It means that you've got two things that are equal, equal in value, equal in worth, and one of them is going to yield to the other one. And how, that's what submit means. The starting point has to be the, the, the equality of the value and the dignity in every sense of, of you know, the leader and the one submitting. Because, think about it, if, if, if there's not equality in worth and status and value, then it's not really submission, is it? It's just recognizing the superiority of one person over the other. I mean, this is a silly example, but a $1 bill does not submit to a $100 bill, right? <laughs> a $100 bill is superior to a $1 bill. There's no submission. Um, a, a, a leader is not superior to those he leads. Uh, leadership is about one human being made in the image of God who has been called by God to lead others who also bear the image of God. And the reason that, this is, um, that we know this is, is this because the ultimate picture of submission is Jesus himself. And at the heart of ultimate reality is the triune God. Uh, at the heart of ultimate reality is the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, one God in three distinct people, equal, uh, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one in substance, equal in power and in glory. They are the same in every conceivable sense. To suggest that the Son, Jesus, is somehow less than the Father is heresy. <laughs> You're not a Christian if you believe that Jesus is less God than God the Father. Um, and yet, in God's economy of redemption, the Son, Jesus, submits to the will of the Father. There are two things that are of the same substance, they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. They are actually one God. It, 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 it defies you know, logic to explain how one, there's only one God. We do not believe in three gods. They are, the Father and the Son are the same, and yet in the economy of God's redemption of sinners like you and me, the Son submits to the Father. 
The Son yields to the will of the Father. And so we submit to our leaders not because in doing so we are less than them, but because God has placed them in leadership over us. Listen, we don't submit to our leaders when we listen to what they say and we decide if we agree with them, and then if we agree with them, we go along with what they say. <laughs> because that's submitting to yourself, right? Not, not submitting to, to, to leaders. But neither does submission mean letting people walk all over you, because pastors and elders themselves, as we read in 1 Peter 5, uh, submit to the chief shepherd. Pastors and elders uh, are not an end or authority unto themselves, but we submit to Jesus, who is our senior pastor. And so true biblical submission isn't demeaning, but rather it's, it's a beautiful picture. Uh, it's, it's a picture of the gospel that's, that's enacted out uh, in front of us. Where one person who is made in the image of God listens to and yields to and follows and respects and gives deference to another person who is created in the image of God. It's a beautiful image, and we know that again by looking at Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 8 says that Jesus, after becoming a man... He humbled himself by submitting to death. Jesus submitted to death, even death on a cross, the most humiliating form of execution. And so we submit to one another. And as we submit to our leaders in the church, we are acting out a picture of the gospel. When somebody who is clearly great humbles themselves, any who see that act of humility see it as an act of beauty. It's, it's, it's beautiful to see somebody who is great humbling themselves before somebody who is, who is, uh, who is smaller, who is, who is um, you understand what I'm saying. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the cross because without submission, your salvation is not possible. Jesus went to the cross submitting himself to death, uh, submitting himself to, you know, as Jesus hangs on the cross and he's mocked by the passers-by and the soldiers, and, uh, and they say, if you really are the Son of God, come down off the cross, and he remains on the cross. Why is he doing that? He's not doing it because he can't get off the cross. He is submitting himself to death. And so without submission, our salvation is not possible. But it is as Jesus submits himself to, to mockery, and to the will of the Father, that you and I can be reconciled to God. You are saved by Jesus' submission. And so proper submission, biblical submission, is not about who's better or who's lesser. It can't be about that. It's about recognizing that God is leading us, and one of the ways he leads us is through leaders in his church. And so let me finish by simply saying this. We need leaders we need leaders at Resurrection OC. I mean, let me put it like this. Whatever you think of me as your pastor, I think we can all agree that I need some help. <laughs> Whether you mean that in the most encouraging way or the most cynical way possible, I think we can all agree that I need some help. <laughs> and so we're going to develop leaders by building disciples. And so you've heard me talk about this if you've been a part of our church for a while, that uh, we are going to continue to talk about discipleship more and more. And in January, we are going to kind of begin to roll out a, 
a uh, discipleship program where we are going to, really what we're doing is we're, we're, we're finding proactive, intentional ways to lead you to Jesus. And so what I want you to hear me say is this, that when we encourage you in January to sign up for emotionally healthy spirituality, it's not because we're trying to get more stuff on your calendar. Because we know you're busy. I know you're busy. But we're trying to lead you to Jesus. We're trying to help you develop the rhythms of life so that you don't just meet with Jesus you know, a couple of times a month when you come to church, but day by day and moment by moment living the entirety of your life in the presence of God, which is true whether you acknowledge him or not, and yet most of us don't acknowledge that that's the reality. So we want to lead you to Jesus so that you know how to find Jesus so that you can lead others to Jesus as well. And that's really what leadership is all about. We need leaders not in name only. We don't need people with the title of elder or whatever leader title we call them. Um, we need people who are actually uh, leading. We need people who are leaders in a formal sense. We need people who are leaders in an unofficial sense. I need help. Friends, the gospel is true. The gospel is true. And what that means is that we as a church are contending for the souls of 3.2 million people in Orange County. We're not responsible for all of them. <laughs> but we are contending for the souls of people in South Orange County. For our neighbors, for our families, for our coworkers, for our children. We need leaders. We need people who know how to find Jesus. We need leaders who are resting in the goodness of the gospel. And we need leaders... We need leaders who are resting the gospel, who are following Jesus, who is our chief shepherd, with the character and skill to lead others to the cross. Friends, the gospel is true, and because the gospel is true, it is worth it, and because the gospel is true, it's possible. So would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Oh Jesus, we thank you that you are our chief shepherd, and we love you. We love you for going first. We love you for having the character to stick with us. We love you for having the competency to save us. We love you for your scars, Jesus. And we love you because uh, you fit us so well. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would be at work at Resurrection OC. Would you help us to be a church that longs to follow you as you lead us? And would you please, Jesus, raise up elders in our midst who uh, would be willing uh, to make those sacrifices that you call them to make? We would all be better for it. So please have your way amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.